Well, hey, we are in a series called Jesus Said. If you're here for the first time, today is part three. And the idea behind this series is very simple. Uh, we started it last year doing uh, an installment of it. We're going to probably do this for a long time to come because he had so much to say, right? And uh, the idea is very, very simple. We don't want to keep reading the Bible like they are 2,000-year-old stories. What we want to do is imagine that we have gone back in time and we're in the crowd or Jesus has come forward in time and he's in your living room and he says something. One of the statements that he makes in the Bible, he says that really hard statement and you have to decide, what am I gonna do with what Jesus said? And so this time around, we're, we're taking four statements that I believe are very, very relevant to the struggles you and I have in our current culture and the world that we live in today. So we began, part one this time, was looking at what Jesus has to say about being anxious, worry, anxiety, and how that is plaguing our world, both those inside the church and those out. I'm not going to repeat any of that, but it is on our app and our website if you want to go back and catch that one. Last week for part two, we talked about how Jesus said, do not fear them. And the them that he was talking about were people that would try to kill you. And we talked in part two and said, look, no one's trying to actually kill our physical bodies for being a Christian here in America. We're, we're pretty safe in that regard, but we do face an issue in our culture. It's called cancel culture, where people might be trying to kill your reputation, your influence, your voice, your career. So if you missed that one, you can catch that one as well. Here's the reason last week was important and the way it plays into today. I actually preached these two messages in this order because last week was the setup for this one. What that means is today, I think we're going to look at a statement by Jesus that I believe might be one of the hardest things to do in our current culture. One of the hardest ones to apply, if not the hardest. And you're not going to be able to do this really difficult statement by Jesus today if you haven't already decided what we talked about last week, which is, whom do you fear? Whose approval do you want most? If you still want the approval of your friends and your coworkers the most, you are going to struggle with what we're going to talk about today. You good with that? Well, what are we talking about today? How about this? Uh, have you noticed that we live in a world filled with opinions? Everybody has one. They're all around us. And everything that's going on around us is all just a matter of what people think, what, what people are, the popular majority is saying about different things. And, and if you haven't noticed, these opinions are incredibly divisive. And actually, it seems like we've lost civility towards people with different opinions. It's like we've lost all respect for people to think something that we don't think, and vice versa, right? Matter of fact, I just thought when I was doing this, I'd go and find an example, and, and so I went. And this week, it was not hard to find an example. I knew all I'd have to do is read the headlines, and, and one day this week, there would be at least one every day. And sure enough, I started out Monday, and there it was, right in the headlines, Jim Harbaugh, some of you may have read this story or know of the person. He is the football coach for the University of Michigan, a team that I do not care about at all. But that's not the point. The point was, there was an article describing how he had attended and spoken at a pro-life event. And he shared that it was simply his upbringing in a Christian home as a man of faith, that that's the reason that he held that view and he even quoted scripture to defend his position in pro-life. And the outcries, which is what made the article, the outcries were immediate and very, very loud, saying two very predominant things. Number one, that someone who would hold such a view has no right to be a person of influence in our world. And the second thing is that they definitely should not hold a position at a public institution. 
Now, look, you may think differently about Jim Harbaugh on pro-life issues. That's not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is it is overwhelmingly clear that the opinion of the culture around us is that he has no right to his opinion because it's based in faith. And that's the world we live in. So today we're going to look at the struggle we have when there are opinions around us that might be hostile towards even what we think. You know, since we're speaking of sports, uh, the truth is in games sometimes, like a football game or a basketball game, players don't always agree on what just happened. One will say, you, you just fouled me, you just interfered with my shot, or you tackled me in a way that's illegal or something like that. And of course, the other player goes, no, I didn't. But see, in a football game or a basketball game, we have someone that can take the two opinions and declare a direction. It's called a referee. Someone that can actually stand up and say, okay, well, I'm going to make a declaration and the rest of this game is going to be played as if this is truth. I think we've lost those people in our culture and in our world. I grew up in a time when there were people, there were voices that were revered. I don't think we have them anymore. I've watched over the last few years as political leaders, cultural leaders, world leaders have tried to stand up and say something and they were attacked just as much as a no-name person trying to give their opinion. We don't have a Mother Teresa anymore, a Billy Graham, a Nelson Mandela. We don't have a person where everybody says, oh, did you hear that? It's, it's just to a place where there is no civility. And so the answer for us today is to look at what did Jesus tell us about living in a world that is filled with so many opinions? You guys ready for this one? I've already told you, I think this is gonna be the hardest thing for us to apply. Um, and so uh, here we go. Let's see what that is. So what are we talking about? Well, we're talking about what Jesus said when he said the truth will set you free. And I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, like, I believe this is the most misquoted and abused Bible verse ever because everyone's heard it. If you've never been to church, you've heard it. The truth shall set you free. And the problem is we've heard it in movies where someone says something really smart-alecky or mean and then turns and says the truth will set you free. We grew up in school where somebody in the cafeteria looks at you and says your mama's ugly, but the truth will set you free. Don't blame the messenger, right? We all know it. We all heard it, yeah? Matter of fact, some of you were the messengers and you need to repent. We'll have a prayer team by the stage at the end of the service. We've all heard it, but the truth is even most Christians don't know what Jesus was fully talking about. So let's go take a look. If you've got your Bibles, you can attempt to follow along today. I'm going to use more scripture than I usually do because I want to make sure you understand the topic today is so important. I don't want you to think I'm giving you my opinion, but I'm trying to share with you what God says on the topic. So we'll begin in John 8, 32 says the truth will set you free, but we're going to back up a little bit to verse 24 and set the context. Why did Jesus say that? He had been talking to some religious leaders, the Pharisees and some of the Jewish people in Israel had surrounded him and been listening. He says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What he's trying to say is, if you don't believe that I'm the son of God, I'm the one that came and will die for you and will provide forgiveness for you. If you don't believe that I'm the Messiah that's been promised, it's not gonna go well. But the good news is they listened. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now that's where we are in context. And so what happens now is he turns to talk to those who had believed in him. Verse 31, and Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Let me paraphrase for you. What Jesus essentially did is he was preaching to a really, really large crowd. The Bible says there were thousands. And, and then he turned after he had talked to them, and some had believed, and he turned and said, okay, well, I'm glad you believe. That's important. Great first step. But how you live is what's really going to determine where you go from here. Are you actually going to be a disciple? Is it going to impact how you live? And see, I would say the same thing still happens today. There are people in churches every single weekend, they raise their hand at the end of the service and they pray because they don't want to go to hell. They, they love the fact that Jesus died, they can be forgiven and, and they can go to heaven. And they're like, thank you, Jesus, I believe. You're the savior, I'm forgiven. But I'm not sure I want to do everything Monday to Saturday exactly the way that you would say it. Sometimes we have a struggle with the difference between the Savior and Lord. You can be my Savior, but not my Lord. That's why here at Grace Life, we just kind of stick with the one word king. Look, if you make Jesus your king, he's definitely your Savior. You got that part covered. But sometimes we're not willing to say whatever you say, Jesus. Right? And then there are people, they're pretty cool with that. Jesus part. Like, I've met people that, oh, I can do that, Pastor. I can do that, no problem. I can abide in Jesus' words. Jesus was super cool. You know, he had an awesome beard, and he talked about love a lot. And Man, I'm, I'm down with that. I can do what Jesus said. The problem is, that's not exactly what Jesus meant either. What Jesus meant, if we keep going, we have to go to some other part of what he was saying. This is in John 14. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth, and we're just going to pause right there for a minute because we really need to reckon with that. Jesus just said there is a truth. There is a right. There's a wrong. It's declared, and I'm it in the flesh. I am the absolute standard represented to you. So I know a lot of times people do like Jesus, Matter of fact, we, we talked about doing the series Jesus said. We said, well, we can do that. Everybody likes Jesus. And that is how we see Jesus. Everybody likes the idea of Jesus. Sometimes it's because we don't wrestle with the challenging things he said. But he literally told us he is the embodiment of an absolute standard. Everything he says is true. Everything he does is true because he is truth in the flesh. Now, you got to think about that because I'm going to share with you some more of Jesus' words. And you're going to have to accept them as truth or you have to reject Jesus completely. He goes on, I am the way and the truth and the lie. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Wow, it sounds like you're changing topics a little bit. What are you talking about, Jesus? But follow what he's doing. He's explaining this idea of truth and the way and the life. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. And then Philip has a little something to say here. You can imagine Philip going, um, I don't remember that day. Uh, Jesus, I, 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 there was that time I had to go help my mama with that thing, and so that must have been the day I was absent from school. I mean, when did, when did the father show up? Like, <laughs> Lord, show us the father, and it'll be enough. Jesus, Philip was like, man, we, we've been with you for three years, and if you would show us the father, I'm good, man. Just take me on to heaven. And Jesus said, oh, man, seriously? How long have I been with you? And you still do not know me, Philip. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Why do you say that? 
How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me? Matter of fact, the words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And this is very important for Christians to understand today. And that's why I'm taking a little bit here for us to make sure we're on the same page. Jesus is telling them and us today that he is the representation of the Father on planet Earth. That his words are the words of the Father being spoken on planet Earth. And what that means is that Jesus and the Father do not have two different opinions or thoughts on any subject matter ever expressed upon the Earth. We've lost that theologically, seriously. I could go find Christians on the street. Are you a Christian? Do you go to church? Yes. Tell me the difference between Jesus and the Father. Oh, well, you know, the Father, he's, he's kind of angry all the time. You know, he's like up in heaven. He's got lightning bolts in his hand. He's just looking. Hey, man, he's just ready. You just better not mess up. But if you do mess up, it's okay because Jesus will get in the way because Jesus loves you. He's the sweet hippie one, you know, awesome beard, long hair, really cool dude, always talked about love. Yep, that's Jesus and that's the Father. And we see them as two completely different beings it's a heresy. We do read the Bible that way. Some people kind of preach that way. We kind of think that way. But I'm here today to help bring some correction to that. Because before we can understand the statement Jesus is making today, we have to understand that Jesus is the full representation of the Father and everything that the Father thinks is right or wrong. And nothing ever changed. And that's difficult. So how does that work? Thanks for asking. We're going to jump to John 1. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That is one of the most confusing statements in the Bible. If you read it by yourself and you've never read anything else, you're like, what is that? Well, let me explain it to you. God created the world in the beginning. He created humanity in the beginning, and then he had his first problem. Humanity knew nothing about him. And so God has to reveal himself to his creation. And the way that he does that is through his self-expression, his revelation of his nature and his character. It is his word. And his word was there from the very beginning. The word was with God and the word was God. Other parts of the Bible tell us there was nothing created that was not created through Jesus, the word who was there and with him. Matter of fact, we're going to jump to John 1, verse 14. It says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God except the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Yes, some people like Moses have stories of seeing glimpses of the Father, but no one has known the full revelation of the Father, every one of His thoughts except Jesus, and Jesus is here to reveal Him to us. And Jesus is truth, which means the Father is truth. And the two are the same nature and the same character. One of the biggest lies we see today, young people, if I could have your attention, it's all over TikTok. One of the biggest lies in our world today is this statement, Jesus never talked about fill in the blank. You are free to have an opinion because Jesus never talked about. Or Christians can do anything they want on this topic because Jesus never talked about that is wrong. Jesus talked about everything because the Father did. And Jesus is the representation of the Father. There is absolutely nothing that has ever been changed. 
If the Father spoke on it, if it is part of his revelation to us, then Jesus spoke on it when he said, I am truth. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wrote this. And we've lost that as well. Because we kind of do this little thing like, oh man, look, I love this stuff right here. This is good. I like that Sermon on the Mount, man. That was some good teaching. You'd do better than Jimmy, I'll tell you what. I mean, I'll listen to him because like you're in heaven. But you know, that, that was good right there. Oh, in this part, you, talk, you told that dude to get out of the grave and come alive. I love that story. That's my, oh, and one of my favorites is when you kick those tables over and you tell those leaders they ain't no good. Oh man, I love when people tell a leader off when they ain't no good. I like that. But, but I really don't know what to do with the rest of this. I'm not so sure about that. After all, this is all written by that mean one with lightning bolts in his hands. So let, I'm, I'm just going to come over here because I love this stuff, Jesus. Here's what we have to understand. Jesus is the embodiment of this. And what that means is that none of this has expired. None of this has changed. And if we're going to be followers of Jesus, then we have to embrace all of this. Now, the problem that we have right there is then people don't understand that. And, and as I shared this with the staff this week, good news is I never preach to you first. I always preach to the staff. I have to pass an exam every single week. Did you believe that? And so they said, well, Jimmy, when you say that, people are going to be confused about the, the, the ceremonial stuff and all of that stuff in the Old Testament. And so I'm going to make this as clear as I can because, you know, people would ask, so if, we're, if we have to do all of this, does this mean that I can't eat bacon anymore? No. <laughs> That'd be bad. So I'm going to make this real short and simple. There are three types of commands in the Old Testament. There are civil commands because Israel was not just a, a group of people following God. Israel was a nation. So they had laws about how to live in a nation together, civil commands. And then they had ceremonial commands because the Israelites were trying to be right with God. So they had religious rules they had to follow to try to be right with God. And then there are the moral commands. Like, you will not lie you will not kill, and the list goes on. What you need to know is that God's moral code has never changed. God's never changed his mind about lying or killing or anything else that he talked about in here. He, he declared a standard of moral right and wrong. That's never changed. But we don't have to do the ceremonial commands, which is why you get to eat bacon. Because we're no longer trying to find a way to be right with God. Jesus made that way on the cross for you and me. And you don't have to follow any rules about what day of the week you can ride on your donkey because you don't live in ancient Israel. You don't have to follow their civil laws. But the, the commands that God gave us is what Jesus is here to represent. The moral commands are God's definition of right and wrong. Jesus came to be the embodiment of that. Now, if, if that still is just a little too much for you to accept and embrace, then I'm just going to back you into a corner with some really simple words Jesus actually said. He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. But you have not known him, but I do know him, and I keep his word. So the problem for you and me is that if we want to abide in Jesus' word, it's not just the little bit right there. We have to do the two things he just said. We have to do everything that pleases the Father and keep the Father's word. So with that foundation laid that I think is so important because the truth is, is we've lost it. The, the Christian church has lost the theology of understanding that Jesus is the representation upon the Father, of the Father upon the earth. It, it, there's not a two different ideas. 
And so with that foundation, we're going to go back now and look practically. What do we do with this statement Jesus made? How do we apply the idea to our life that if we abide in his word, we will truly be his disciples, we will know the truth, and the truth will, be, the truth will set us free? Well, the first problem we're going to have in our context is because most of us would say, I don't need to be free. I'm not in prison, man. I can do anything I want. I live in a Western world. It's a democracy. I get to do anything I want. I can get a job. I can quit a job. I can go to work late. I can get another job if I do that too many times. I can stay home. I can call in sick. I can eat whatever I want. I can stay up as late as I want. I can do anything I'm in the mood to do. Matter of fact, only teenagers would agree with me, you need freedom. All the rest of us would be like, man, I'm free. What are you talking about? Look at our world. We need to be free from fighting. Intention, every little thought getting us mad at somebody. We need to be free from worry or anxiety. We need to be free from addictions that rule our lives. We need to be free from habits that hurt us and the people around us. We need to be free from ideas that lead us to self-hurt. We need to be free from depression. We need to be free from the devil's influence in our minds so that we can be free from despair and we can be free from impure thoughts. We need to be free from the power of the devil in this world. I could go on. We need to be free. Humanity has always needed to be free. None of those are new things. Humanity will always need to be free. And in this passage, Jesus gives us the only prescription for being free. And there is no generic at this pharmacy. Y'all are the first service to get that. <laughs> and it's important that you laugh because, well, I'm not going to have many more funny things to say, just to be honest. So let's look at this one piece at a time. Starting with, I think, the most important word out of what Jesus said in this phrase, if you know the truth, if you abide in my word, if. And what he's telling us from the very beginning is, not everyone's going to get there. There's going to be a process that will result in freedom, but, but if you don't do it, you won't get there. This is only for some. Not everybody is going to end up being free. He's challenging the people in front of him. Will you be among those who will take the right steps? And he's challenging you and me on that same thing today. So everybody remember, it began with if. So let's find out, what does Jesus want us to do? So he goes on to say, if you abide in my word. And the good news is this is incredibly straightforward. Sometimes there's a Greek word I get to explain. I did go and research this in Greek. And the good news, it means exactly what you would think it means to you and me in English. Abide means to dwell with, to remain with. It's the exact opposite as go away from. Dr. Tony Evans is one of my favorite preachers of all time. And I heard him give an illustration I'm going to steal and use here this morning. Because it's the best illustration on the idea of abide I've ever heard. And part of that is because he's a tea drinker and uh, I'm a tea drinker. And so as he talked about how to drink tea, I realized, first of all, he and I are both geniuses because we drink tea the same way. <laughs> but second of all, I've never heard a better way to demonstrate this word. See, Tony Evans and I are both uh, tea drinkers in what we would call being abiders. Uh, we, we let the tea bag go in and it abides until the cup is empty. We never take it out. We never put it away. Matter of fact, at some point, this glass of tea becomes so strong and, and so incredibly indistinguishable from what's in this bag to what's in here, you, you can't separate them because it abides. But according to the British, we're not good tea drinkers. 
Because the correct way to drink tea, as you notice the difference here, is that you just visit briefly. And the reason you visit briefly and then pull that back out is because you're afraid of the influence of that tea bag being too strong. You all got that, didn't you? You see, the problem for us today is that many of us don't abide in the Word. We visit it for about 30 minutes on a Sunday. So Jesus says, if you abide in my word to a point that there is no way to distinguish between the way you live and the choices you make and the things that I said, then you'll truly be my disciples. In other words, if we abide in his word, then it means we follow him and become like him. But if we abide in our culture, we follow them and become like them. Did you ever realize you were always someone's disciple? And if you will be my disciples, then you'll know the truth. Key point that I need to address. That means there is a truth. I already brought that up when Jesus claimed to be the truth. But we live in a world today where a college professor may stand up, an educated person may write in an article, it could get published in a newspaper that would actually make a declaration that says there is no truth. Truth is relative. You didn't have my experience. I don't have your experience. Truth is my perspective. Your truth is your perspective. We all have our own truth. In other words, there is no truth. There are just opinions. If you haven't heard that, crawl out from under your rock. I don't know. I don't know what else this says. That's not in my notes. I'm sorry. But that is seriously the position of the world that you and I live in. But undeniably, one of the clearest things Jesus said is there is a truth. There is an absolute truth. There is an opinion that has been established by the only one who knows the truth. It does not matter what we think. It does not matter what we feel. You will know the truth. Matter of fact, that phrase that you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, it's been inscribed on many buildings in our nation in Latin, so most of us did not know that's what was over our heads as we walked into college or if you've ever worked at the CIA I should know that, but uh, anyway, it's inscribed upon their headquarters as well. And the idea behind that is that knowledge will set you free. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowledge is that truth. But we've had knowledge since the beginning of humanity and it's been increasing every year and yet the condition of humanity has been getting worse. Knowledge is not what sets us free and that's not what Jesus was saying. Jesus made it very clear. If we abide in his word, then we will know the truth. Practically speaking, that means that this is different from deception. And that's how we know one from the other. Abiding in his word. And what that means is that God's declaration on any subject matter is the truth. And that's a difficult thing for us to accept sometimes. Because sometimes we don't like what this says. Are y'all with me? I don't know about you, but man, when I first started reading this, there were a lot of them like, oh, come on, seriously? God, let's have a talk. And it's taken a long time to wrestle with some of those. But whatever God has spoken about, he has declared an absolute standard. He calls it truth. And the good news is what that means is that we now don't have to worry about what's happening around us. The decision is made for us because he's made that decision. We'll know the truth. Matter of fact, I, I found a very interesting thing as I was doing research for this this week. One of the last statements Jesus ever made 
He was standing before Pilate, and if you're new to church, Pilate was the Roman official who was given the unlucky position of deciding if Jesus would live or die. And he was standing before Pilate, and he said, I've come into the world to reveal truth. I've come into the world to show the world what is true. And you know what Pilate's response was? What is truth, man? And walked out of the room. Conversation over. Never again. His entire next decision was all based upon the idea there is no truth. Man, I don't want to hear that. Look, I, I got some Jews outside, they think this. I got some Pharisees yelling, they think that. The Romans are breathing down my neck, they think that. Man, look, we ain't got time for that stupid idea that like there's a right and a wrong. What is truth, man? Just leave me alone, I'm leaving. And don't miss what happened. After Pilate looks at Jesus and says, what is truth? He walks outside and he goes to the crowd and he says, all right, I'll give you one of them. And they said, give us Barabbas, kill Jesus. And the Bible tells us he gave them Jesus to please the crowd. I couldn't miss the symbolism of crucifying the truth in order to please the crowd. It's not a new problem, but it's also not an old problem. You and I today are continuing to see the crucifixion of truth in order to please the crowd. So let's get to the last part. Jesus said, the truth will set you free. This is a very obvious meaning. There will be results in your life. When you live according to the truth, the amount of truth operating in your life is the indicator of the freedom that you'll have. Did y'all, let me flip that. It makes more sense. The amount of freedom in your life is the indicator of how much truth is operating in your decisions. And so when you sometimes, hey man, I've got truth, I'm living according to truth. Well, let's talk about the circumstances of your life because freedom is the indicator of truth operating in your life. And before I go any further today, because I'm about to, well, I'm about to talk about some things culture's talking about. But before I do, I wanna make one thing very clear. I don't believe that we should expect non-believers to live like believers. They've never claimed Jesus is their Lord. They've never claimed to be a Christian to read the Bible. I don't have a problem with a non-believer acting like a non-believer. And, and it is my, not my job to judge them. Matter of fact, the Bible is very clear. Our job is not to judge the rest of the world for acting like the world. Our job is to love them and tell them about our Father in heaven and to bring them into what he's done for them, right? I mean, that, that's our job. Matter of fact, I think some of the reason that the rest of the world doesn't like us so much is because we do what Jesus said not to do. We judge them and we criticize them and we point fingers at them and so then they don't like us. So I wanna be very clear. I'm about to talk about some things that our culture is talking about today and I'm not here to criticize our world and I'm not pointing fingers at our world and, and if you're a guest here today, you know that you're a non-believer, I'm not even really talking to you. I believe my job as a preacher and a pastor is to bring clarity for those who do say they are believers. And so the rest of what I'm about to say is simply to, to show you what God's word says on topics that we're talking about today. Because what I find interesting is that a lot of us are still arguing about our opinions. There should only be two sides of every argument. Those who are forgiven by the blood of Jesus and those who are not. 
Because those who are believers should say, I don't have an opinion anymore. Mine is determined by my Savior who died on the cross for me. And by the way, we are the overwhelming statistical majority in this nation. Which would mean if we stopped expressing our own opinions, there could be some change. But that's not in my notes either. So again, this is for believers. When we abide in his word, we will know the truth and we'll be free from deception and wrong beliefs. Jesus is the one who said, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That means anything that we encounter in this world, anything that's written, any post that is made on social media, if it's different from this, it's a deceived thought. If it claims this to be wrong, it is a deceived thought. If we abide in his word, we'll know the truth and we are free from confusion about the purpose of life. Because the Bible says we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, when the devil or someone else tells you, man, hey, there's, there's no point to life. You can do whatever you want. Eat, drink, and be merry. Don't worry about what anybody thinks. Just go please yourself. Hey, you don't, you're never going to be accountable for anything. When the devil says you are worth nothing, you don't have any purpose. You can say to the world and to the devil, no, no, no. I am God's uniquely created being. When we abide in his word, we'll know the truth and we'll be free from doubt that we are loved and valued because the Bible tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only son for you. When we abide in his word and we know the truth, we're free from confusion about who or what we are. Because Jesus' own words were from the beginning of creation, God made the male and female, which means that our sexual identity with clearly defined terms that have meaning, at least to your Lord. It's truth. It's not opinion. It's not feeling. If we abide in his word and we know the truth, then we are free from confusion about what God wants us to do or how to respond. Because Jesus responded to every temptation that the devil brought him at him with the same answer. It is written. Jesus never did anything except repeat this. And what that means for you and me is that we don't have to make decisions when you've got friends pressing you different directions and everything. You're free from that. Matter of fact, the only decision you get to make are the ones that this speaks nothing about. And that is why I am free to tell you that dark chocolate is better than milk chocolate. <laughs> when we abide in his word, we will know the truth and we are free from confusion about what is morally right or wrong. And again, because of what I believe God's called me to do, which is to bring clarity for believers, there is no greater issue of what is morally right and wrong in our world today than that of abortion. Here's what God thinks. Isaiah, the Lord called me from the womb, from the body of my mother, he named my name. For you formed my inward parts, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. Your eyes saw my unformed substance, in your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. We call it a fetus. God calls it life. A unique creation with a destiny and a name, even if your parents get it wrong on the birth certificate. Your relationship with the truth will be most demonstrated by your decisions. You see, 
Jesus said, I say what the Father says and I do what the Father does. But we say, well, I think, and then we do what we think. And the reason we're not free is because we think and we do what we think. So I think I should be mad and hold a grudge. After all, did you hear what they just said about me? And then we're not free because we are a prisoner of bitterness in our heart. Well, I think I should eat or drink whatever and however much I want, but then we're not free because we're struggling with gluttony and maybe alcoholism. Well, I think I would like to look at particular images on the internet, but then we're not free because we have an addiction to pornography. I think I should spend my money the way I want, but then we're not free because we're in debt or broke. And my favorite one, we think. I think that issue is a human right. Can I just beg of you to be very careful? Because the first and longest standing human right is the right to die and pay for your sins for all eternity. I don't know about you, but I cannot stand at the feet of Jesus on the cross and claim human rights. His grace is way too good. His blessings are too abundant. To see what Jesus did, not out of a right. He was God in the flesh. He had every right to literally say, to hell with you, you did it. And he didn't. I really want to challenge Christians. Don't live your life on mere human rights. Live your life as a testimony to the grace of God and what he has done for you. Our choices should not be about what we can do. Our choices should be about what pleases the Father. After all, those are Jesus' words. People often ask me, what do you think about? And then I answer, well, the Bible says, and they'll stop me, whoa, 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 Jimmy, I didn't, I, I know you're a pastor, I didn't ask that. What do you think about? I have to tell you that you don't know me very well if you think there's a different answer to that question. And I don't say that to brag. I just say that to hopefully be an example. I, I did the I think for a lot of years of my life. I, I had a lot of thoughts and I did what I thought and I made a lot of messes. And you know, I've just lived long enough. I have finally figured out God is smarter. He knows better. And you can, you can fight with him about right or wrong all day long, but he's the truth. And he's the one sitting on the throne. So, what we need to realize is for you and me, the decision of what is right or wrong or what's okay is not our decision. You are not going to ever make that decision. I know you think you do every day. Someone puts something on social media, you respond and you are giving your opinion about what you think is right or wrong. That's not what you're doing. What's right or wrong has been determined. The only decision you and I have is will we live life our way or will we live life God's way? And this has been the ultimate problem from the beginning. It's humanity's problem today. It was humanity's problem 100 years ago, and it was humanity's problem in the very beginning. Matter of fact, let me show this to you. It is a really cool example. God told them, do not eat of that tree. And the serpent showed up and started running his mouth. And they started thinking. 
and then they did what they thought and God showed up to talk to them. Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, we we do not give Eve enough credit. Too many people blame Eve for everything. Let me tell you what, look at the credit she deserves for her answer because she nailed it. What is this you've done? She didn't say, well, I ate of that thing, or I, you know, I tasted that, and well, it was kind of juicy. I mean, she didn't come up with any of that stupidity. She just said, I'm sorry. I was deceived. I did the opposite of truth. I left truth. I did it my way. I left your truth behind me. Do you realize most of us can't say that when we talk to God? Very few of us can look God in the eyes, so to speak, and say, God, it's my fault. I left your truth. God, the mess in my life is because I walked away from this. I was deceived. I started thinking, and well, I read some of my friends' thoughts, and I saw an article, and well, I just, I thought, and I did. Why don't we just, let's just call it for what it is. God, I left your truth. And I was deceived. I think these words by Jesus are going to be the most difficult for us to live in this world today. You'll know the truth. You'll abide in his words to be the truth to the world. That's what he said he was. That's what he calls his disciples to be. And that, by the way, is our very battle. Because the very first problem you and I have is that from a long time in history, there's been a great effort to discredit this and its author. See, it started with statements like, well, this is culturally outdated, and if God wrote it today, he would do it differently. And then they moved forward from that argument. You don't really hear that one anymore. You hear the, oh, well, God didn't even write it. A bunch of men did, so you don't have to worry about it. And then they don't even use that one anymore. They move forward to a whole new one. There is no God who cares about that book. Let me make you a promise. You will never be accused of being obedient to God's word because they don't believe it is. You'll never be accused of being obedient to God's word. You will be accused of being narrow-minded and following your own opinion because to believe this written by something that doesn't exist, well, that's just your opinion. And so today, Jesus says, if we abide in his word, the truth, then we'll be like him, we'll look like him, we'll know the truth, we'll know it when we see it, we'll know deception when we see it, and then we can choose truth and the truth will set us free. Today you must choose I told you last week was a setup for this because in order for you to do that very thing and to go out into this world and represent an absolute standard that God has defined well you first have already needed to decide do you need the approval of anyone else or do you live for God's because as long as you're living for someone else's approval you will never be able to stand for truth in this world Today, it is your choice. Live your life 
on opinion or live your life on truth. Let me pray for us. God, we come before you today and tell you that we need your help. The first thing we need you to help us with is whether and how to believe in your word. It's been attacked. It seems to have been discredited. We've had teachers and famous people tell us you can't believe it. So God, would you first come and and help us answer the questions, find solutions to the challenges. They are there. God, would you help us become people who believe your word is the revelation of you and your nature. And then God, would you help us represent you here on earth? Would you help us to live it out, to embrace it? Would you help us to set aside our own human thoughts and feelings about topics and just say, what what does my father want? God, we need your help and we ask you to come. Help us, give us grace to stand and live in this world today. If you're just staying in a place of prayer, I want to speak to those of you that have yet to make Jesus your king. As we just said, God so loved you that he sent his son to live a perfect life and die on the cross so that his blood could pay for your sins and his resurrection could provide the way to eternal life. If you've never made the exchange of the life you've been living for the one that God has for you. I want to help you do that right now. Wherever you are, simply say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And now I choose to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. In my prayer today, would you fill me with your spirit? And give me a life of great meaning in your kingdom. Amen. Would you all help me celebrate with them? Amen.